started out with Matthew chapter 16, talking about Jesus as the builder of the church, talking about Peter's confession. What Peter confesses, what Jesus built the church on, which was uh, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, in Acts chapter two, we talked about characteristics of a healthy church, what a healthy church look like, looks like. And we brought out four aspects of what a healthy church is. Uh, last week, we got to be on the ground a little bit and talk about elders in the local church. What is the church governed by? Our church here is governed by elders. We believe in elders make lead the, the vision, the direction, uh, and the counseling, the care, the love for the church is done by elders. And so we got to talk about that. This week, we're going to talk about stewardship, talk about the, the church and finances and stewardship. But I want to do something different. I don't want to make this just about money. I want to make it about our heart. That's what, it's, that's what it's ultimately about. Now, you're already in here. If you're like, oh my gosh, man, why are we talking about money today? Why are we at another church talking about stewardship? Listen, you're already here, so you can't, you can't leave. It's kind of weird now. If we know you're exiting, we'll kind of know why you're leaving. Uh, so we got you here. We pur- purposely did not say what we we're talking about this morning. But I, I do want to talk about stewardship in the church. I want to talk about how money exposes our heart. Exposes kind of where we are, how we spend our money really says really what is our God? What is our focus? What is our priority? So Luke chapter 21, we will see, uh, we will see what Jesus says about it. So if you could do me a favor, just follow along and we'll see where the Lord leads us. Luke chapter 21, the first four verses says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Verse four, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. I want to preach from the topic entitled giving that exposes the heart, giving that exposes the heart. The heart. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here, uh, not just today, but thank you that you meet us on a weekly basis here. We build our lives around um, not Sunday morning, but around you. Pray that Jesus is the focal point of our attention today. Pray that all that we do glorifies and and brings uh, complete honor to Jesus Christ. We pray today as we talk about stewardship, let me just confess and repent on behalf of all of us. All of us need work in this area as it relates to trusting you. Everybody in this area. So if we're feeling uncomfortable, we pray that you would keep us uncomfortable. Don't make us get over that. Convict us deeply today, but only in your word and through your gospel. Can you tear us down, but build us up at the same time? Only in your gospel can you do that. And I pray that today that we would walk out uh, and say, how can we be doers of the word, not hearers only? Let us not approach the text today from an academic standpoint only. Do pray that we learn something, but I pray that our hearts are cut deeply through your word. Use it today for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the early 1980s, around 1982, uh, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, appointed a guy by the name of Lee Akoka to 
uh, head up the fundraising project to refurbish the Statue of Liberty. So the Statue of Liberty started to rust and it started to look a little messed up. So they, they hired this guy to lead the project. And some of the testimonies that he gave us as it relates to those who, gives, who gave and unusual gifts that they gave and even some of the givers, some of the stories he told us, when I read through them, I was rocked by them. One of them was a a, a, a woman in her early 80s talks about how she gave to the church. She's to the church. She gave to the Statue of Liberty this refurbishing uh, project. She gave ten thousand dollars and she gave a note. And on the note she put, "P.S. Please send me a copy of Lee Akoka's book because." the library has it on back order for two months. And so she, she literally sent a $10,000 check because she wanted the free book. Instead of going buy the book for $19.95, she sends a $10,000 check in order to get a free copy of this book. It's another story that we're told about, about an 87-year-old woman sent a check for $1,000. And so the, the team that was overseeing this project sends her back a thank you letter. She was so moved by the thank you letter that she sent another check for $50,000. I'm not making this stuff up. Sent another check for $50,000 to which Lee Akoka then picks up the phone and calls her and says, hey, I want to invite you to Liberty Island. Please come out. I'd love to show you around the Statue of Liberty because of your contribution, because of your gift. Well, she said, I couldn't make it. No lie. She said, I couldn't make it because I'm cleaning my house. So I can't, I can't make that. I'm sorry. I'm cleaning the house. And so she said, but I'll do something. I'm going to send another little envelope. She sends another envelope. Within this envelope, there's three checks, one for $25,000, one for $50,000, and another one for $75,000. Now, all he wanted to do was say thank you for a little $1,000 check that she sent. And he ended up getting $201,000. He ended up saying, well, I wonder what would have happened if I sent her flowers instead of a thank you card. <laughs> Perhaps the most touching story that I heard or that I was reading through was the 78, uh, it was 78 homeless Vietnamese refugees in a camp in Thailand. And they literally took their hat off. They were so moved by the symbolic nature of this liberty, of the Statue of Liberty. They were so moved by the symbol of liberty that they passed the hat around. 78 homeless Vietnamese uh, refugees passed this hat around and collect $114.19. $114, all of these, they emptied out their pockets, everything they had. Now, who gave more in that time? Did the people that could send $50,000 checks, $75,000 checks, did they feel that more or did the refugees that were homeless, didn't have a home to live in, but were able to pass this collection plate, this hat around to collect money? In many ways, that is what our story is about today. Our story is about a widow that has nothing and these rich men that are coming to put into the offering, to put into the offering basket. Let me jump in and just be really clear. Uh, I'm not after your money. Let me just, I just want to put it out there early. This is not some, I don't have a hidden agenda within this sermon to see if the offering goes up. I'm not collecting an offering after the sermon to see if we're all convicted. If we, that's not the point of this. this the point of this story is about our heart. It's about what the Lord is doing in our heart. And so if you walk out of here and only heard money, you've missed the point of the text. Jesus isn't even talking about money. If he was only talking about money, he would have praised the rich people because they clearly gave more financial money than this poor widow. But Jesus wasn't. He didn't praise them. 
Who he praised was the women who gave less. And so again, it's not about money. And I don't want us to sit here and say, man, the church, man. And let me not try to apologize for every church that you've been a part of that may have pulled you as it relates to, or maybe abused you as it relates to uh, giving, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you were a part of a church that was faithful. You saw what they were stewarding, how they handled church finances. You saw all of that. Maybe you were a part of that. And so I, I just want to just put that out there. It's not about money, but it is about provision, how the Lord provides for the church. Let me just say this, man. The Lord provides for the church through his people. He didn't, he didn't drop this month's budget expenses out of the sky. I didn't look in the bank account and it was like, oh, he just put this much in there. That's not how it works. It works by him providing, giving his provision through his people. That is how the church, and I'm not ashamed of that. You know why? Look in Luke chapter eight. When you look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry was, he mean, three years of powerful ministry, but his ministry was booming, not necessarily, not only because of how he taught and the healings and the miracles, but that he was, he was provided and he received provision through a group of ladies, through a group of women, most of them who were demon-possessed, so were impacted by his ministry, and they gave out of their means. Look in Luke chapter 8 where you see these ladies all providing, not just for Jesus, but for all of the disciples. They're all being provided for by a group of ladies. And Jesus, the amazing part about that is, Jesus literally could have blinked his eyes and had food everywhere. Like we're talking about the creator and the sustainer of life. He could have closed his eyes, opened his eyes, had filet mignon and, and red skin mashed potatoes and green beans, some Junior's cheesecake and a Starbucks latte. He could have had all of that when he opened his eyes every single day. But yet he became vulnerable enough to be sustained by people, by his creation. The, cre- the people that he created, he said, I'm going to become sustained by them. So the church isn't above Jesus. The bride of Christ isn't above the husband. It's about Jesus and Jesus being sustained. And because he was sustained, I have no problem saying our church should be sustained off of the, off of the people of God. Let me just be honest with how we are operating in terms of finances here. We're 90 to 95% supported from the outside. What does that mean? That means there's a group of faithful partner churches that contribute financially to us that you guys don't even know. Some of them are here with us today. Some of our Southeast crew is here with us today. Faithful brothers and sisters in Louisville, Kentucky that you do not know, but yet they're like, man, I want to put boots on the ground in Brooklyn because I know the Lord is operating there. Know the Lord is operating there. And there's three strategic partners that our church is, is under the umbrella and the, the protection of in terms of financial resources. Uh, one of them is Orchard Group. Been around since 1948, have been faithfully planting churches. We are all about church planting or else we wouldn't be here. Uh, so they've been planting churches. They know what they're doing. So we've connected with this group of, uh, of, of people, this network. X29, another network that has been faithful to church planting, not just domestically, but internationally. And then uh, a, a network called NAM, North American Mission Board. Our church is a part of North American Mission Board. Again, faithful people that are planting churches. And underneath those, those three strategic partners are a list of churches that have all signed on to uh, help us financially. So Evansville, Indiana, Las Vegas, Fort Worth, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Apex, 
the Northeast, Philly, Camden, New Jersey, multiple places in New Jersey, New Brunswick, uh, New York, multiple places here, not just this borough, but other boroughs have, other churches and other boroughs have joined in to partner with us. This is how the Lord is providing from the church. But that can't be always. It's like an infant, right? I, you know, you have an infant and the, the infant is 100% reliable on you from birth. You feed, you care for, you change the diaper. But at some point, that infant has to grow up. And at some point, he has to get a job. He has to provide for himself. And eventually, he's going to have to provide for his family. That's what the church is. And so right now, we're in a season where we're outside being externally supported. And at some point, our internal support should go like this. And the external support should go like this. And at some point, we should be self-sustaining, able to plant more churches, able to do better ministry because we're fully resourced on the inside. That is what it is about. So it's not about anything else. It's not about our own comfort. So let's look at what Jesus talked about. Let's consider this passage before us. There are several things that we can draw out of this passage. The first one is Jesus observes our giving. It's clear from the beginning. Look at verse number one. Jesus looked up and saw. Jesus was watching those that were giving. Now, this is the week of Passover. During this week, they would have had 13 boxes of uh, like collection plates, if you will. They were small at the top and fat at the bottom so that you can come in and put your resources in. Now, they didn't have, they didn't have paper money. They didn't have checks. So the rich would literally drag bags of coins to put them into this box. Can you imagine some of the people coming up with multiple people carrying all these bags to put in resources? Jesus is sitting in the cut and he's watching everybody that's putting into the offering for that week. He's watching. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat in the mall and just watched people? You ever sat at the terminal at, at an airport and just watch people as they come and as they go? Now, here's the difference between us watching and Jesus watching. When we watch people, first of all, it's creepy. But when we watch people, we only see external. We can only see their actions. When Jesus watches you, he's watching the external actions and he knows the motives. He knows the intent of your heart. Can you imagine if when the collection plate was going around, I was walking behind the collection plate watching what everybody was putting in? You would be like, that's too much. And I would agree. But Jesus is walking by and watching everybody. That is, he's watching you as you're online saying, okay, how am I going to spend my resources this month? He's watching everything that we do. And he doesn't just know the external, but he knows what's in your heart. Like, he, it's not hidden from him. If I walked up to you and said, how much do you make? You'd be like, I'm offended you would ask me that. Jesus knows. He knows what you make. He knows what you spend. And he knows how much you have contributed uh, to him. And so Jesus is watching. And amongst all the noise, all of the people would have been gathered here, giving, putting in money. Jesus is sitting back and he's just, why well, he's not saying anything. He's watching watching the rich give. He's watching the, uh, he's watching the poor widow give. He's observant. Here's the truth of the matter. Jesus was not only observant then, he's still observant now. Like, let that sit on you for a second. Jesus is watching. He's watching everything that we do, and he doesn't just know the motive. I was 
uh, driving my car one day, and I had in the back of the car some trash, and it, it's been sitting there for days, and so I'm not nasty like that normally. But I was sitting in the car, and I put a banana peel in the trash, and I'm like, man, what is that smell? So I turn around, it's the trash bag, so I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta empty this trash ASAP. So I see a Rite Aid, I pull into the Rite Aid, and I get out the car with the bag, and I go to put it into the trash. And as I put it in the trash, there's a homeless man there. Now, sometimes we can be numb to homeless people, right? Like, you're always being asked, and you kind of just keep walking by them. But this person, for some reason, the Lord really drew my heart to this person. So I stopped to have a conversation with them. They asked me for a dollar. That's all they asked for. Now, this is payday. Y'all know how it is on payday. Like, we, we normally don't carry cash, but on payday, we pull out a couple extra dollars, you know, when we go to Starbucks, we get, the, we get the tall, we get extra foam, you know, we splurge a little bit. And so this is payday, so I'm walking around with a little bit of cash in my pocket, and he asked me for money, he asked me for a dollar, and I said, well, let me give this guy a dollar. I want to give him what he asked for, right? So I'm flipping through. I don't know how much I had in my wallet today, that day, but I'm flipping through. There's 20s, there's 10s, there's 5s, and there's 1s. I'm flipping past the 20s, past the 10s, past the 5s to get to the dollar bill to give him. In that moment, the Lord knew the motive of my heart and convicted me. I, I'm, and this normally doesn't happen, but this was a moment where I felt like I literally heard the Lord say, give him everything in your wallet. Now, now, just sit on that, sit on that for a second. I was like, hold on, you want me to give him... Like, did you really just say that or was that lunch that I ate that just like ain't sitting right with me? Give him everything in my wallet. So I did that. I said, man, let me just pull out everything. So gave him everything in my wallet, walked away sad, couldn't believe that the Lord really, I mean, it was not about that money. It was about my heart. Like I really was flipping past 20s, 10s, and 5s to give him a one when I had more, felt deeply convicted by it. The Lord used it, but the Lord didn't let up that day. It wasn't just that. So I walked away from that guy. I'm like upset, gave him the money, walking back with an attitude to the car. And the Lord is like, no, 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 I need you to pray with him now. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I said, sir, can I pray with you? Absolutely. And he sticks out his hands and I look at his fingernails and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Lord, I just gave him everything in my wallet, but I'm not holding his hand. I'm just not, it's not doing that. It's not happening. Anyway, the Lord convicted me again, like, how, how dare you not hold his hand when I hold your filthy hand on a consistent basis? That moment was deeper than just money. The Lord observed what I was doing. He observed my heart and he got at the intent of my motives. And so that's what Jesus is doing, sitting back in the cut and he's watching everything that people are doing, what they're giving, and he's still watching. Psalms 139 verses one through four say, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Listen to this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. He's deeply acquainted with you. You're not hiding anything from him. He's acquainted with all that we are doing. And so Jesus is watching them, and he's watching their motives. When the IRS takes from you, they don't care nothing about your motive. They don't even let you see it, right? You had to look on your pay stub to see what the IRS took out. They don't even let you have the option of saying, well, I'm going to give them this. I'm going to give them this percentage. They take it from the top. Do you think that the IRS is sitting in D.C. in an office going, oh my gosh, she gave with a bad motive, she was not happy about giving. She had an attitude about giving. They don't care. What do they care about? The bottom line. Not so with Jesus. 
He's not only interested in the amount you give. He's interested in your motive behind the giving. That's what makes Jesus different. He's not only, he doesn't care just about the quantity, but he's all about the quality. All about the quality. And so Jesus is observing. That's number one. He's observing. He's still observing. What does he observe this day? Let's look at what the text says. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And so initially Jesus is watching what rich people are putting in. Can you imagine when a prominent person, someone that had a great reputation, had money, can you imagine that day when they were walking up bags and bags of coins, their riches, they're dropping in? Can you imagine that moment? Jesus is watching all of that. Not only that, but he's watching the divorced, uh, the, the widowed woman. And so Matthew 6 will tell us, this is what Jesus feels about people that flaunt, like or look for the opportunity to give only because they want to be seen or because they have an alter- alternative motive. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your father who is, from your father who is in heaven. Verse two, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets. Did you hear that? He just told them not to sound a trumpet, but he didn't just leave it at that. He said, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. So people on this day were sounding a trumpet, walking up and saying, look at me, I'm putting money in. Jesus condemned that type of giving. And so as he's watching, now I don't want to assume in the text that that is what Jesus is talking about here because truthfully, he didn't condemn the rich here. He just said, I'm praising the, the widow. So he didn't condemn the rich here, but in his previous teachings, clearly that was happening. He said, don't sound the alarm. Don't sound no trumpet. Just come up and give an, to an audience of one. That's what your giving is. Forget everybody else. You're giving to an audience of one God, even though the rich nor Jesus, I mean, nor this widow knew that Jesus was watching. They knew God was watching and that's who they were giving to. And so Jesus preached against this type of giving, but he didn't only see the rich giving. What did he see in the text? This is putting their gifts into the offering box. Verse number two, and he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins in. Let me just talk about these two small copper coins. In the original, the, the original Greek meaning, the, the coins would have been called leptas. It literally means peeled or fine. It, it, it describes the thinness of the coin. So the coin that she put in, one of those coins literally was one eighth of a penny. That's how much it was. She was, her life savings was these two Pennies. How do I know that? Because Jesus later on says she put in all that she had. All she has is these two small copper coins. She goes up to the basket and she puts both of the coins in. Can you like, think about how we act with pennies? Like we see a penny on the ground. We don't even bother to pick it up. We walk right by it. Most of us got that. Y'all, everybody got that junk drawer in the house. That one drawer that you just put everything in. In that drawer, I guarantee you, you walk, you go through that drawer. There's pennies at the bottom of that drawer. We don't care about pennies. Her coins were one eighth of a penny. And she says, I'm going to put both of these coins in. Not even a whole penny. Now, if I'm her pastor, I'm going to say that's unwise. This is all you have to live on. How about you take that and you try to build some more and then you come and you give to the church. Or if nothing else, don't give both of them. 
give one. Here's the crazy part about this widow. If she would have only given one coin, percentage-wise, she would have gave more more than anybody else in this room, unless you're tithing 50% off of your check. If you are, you need to talk to me. We got to go out to lunch. We got to, I just want to thank you. 50% of your check. This woman gave two coins. She could have gave one and beat all of us in generosity. One coin could have set it up. Now, here's the crazy part about it. Because most people come to me and they're like, well, should I tithe off the net or should I tithe off the gross? Should I, do I really have to give 10%? I mean, that's Malachi, that's Old Testament. Do I really have to hold to 10%? If we want to play the percentage game, let's look at the New Testament. Look at this story. She gave 100%. She gave 100% of what she had. Now, I'm not saying go and recklessly, unwisely give all of your money. What I'm saying is we can't play the percentage game. It's about the heart. She gave all that she had. She could have given one and still been extremely generous, but she doesn't. She gives both of them. She gives all she had. Do you think that day the money counters were seriously like, oh my God, thank God that this widow gave because if she didn't give, we wouldn't have made our budget for the week. Do you think that they're thinking that? If anything, those two small copper coins were annoying to even count. Like, think about when you don't have any cash on you and you go up to the, to, the, to the counter and you pull out all the, you know, you empty your pocket with all this change. You know that person's annoyed that they got to sit there and count each and every penny. That's what the money counters would have been like. So it would have been, been a nuisance that she gave this. Why? Because do you think that the church was any richer because of two small copper coins? If anything, she was poor because of the two coins she gave all that she has. So it's not, about, it's not about the amount that you give. That's not what I'm after. Jesus isn't looking for people that, that give more. What he's looking for is people that give sacrificially. How can Jesus say in this text, look at the text, verse number three, truly I say to you, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. How can Jesus make that statement? Is, is he lying? That's, that can't be true from a financial standpoint. She put in two small copper coins. The scripture says there were rich people putting into the pot. Do you think she gave more financially? No. What Jesus, the only conclusion we can get from Jesus' statement here is that she gave more because it cost her more than anybody else that gave. Does your giving cost you something? Like C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about how If me and another person are in the same tax bracket and we're both living the same comfortable lifestyle as a Christian and a non-believer, I should be looking at myself saying, man, am I giving till it's costing me something? Until it's actually hitting my pocket. What we do is we wait till the end of the month and we'll look at what we have left over and we'll say, we'll give that to the church. We'll give that to the church. You think this lady did that? She gave all that she had to the offering that week. All of it she gave cost her something, cost her deeply. My family and I are reading through um, 1 Samuel as part of our morning devotion. We do about 15 minutes a morning and we just hit different themes. We don't go through every verse. We just hit different themes within 
uh, within the book. So we just finished up all 34, 30, 31 verses of 1 Samuel. We're now in 2 Samuel. So what I do is I try to read ahead to crab some of the themes and see what else is going on. There's one story in 2 Samuel chapter 24 that rocks me. And it really does back up what we're saying in terms of giving into where it cost you something. It's this story between uh, David, the King David, and a man named uh, Arana. Arana. I can't say that right. Arana. So David and this man are, are, are uh, in, I guess, close relationship, but God comes to David and says to David, write, it, write this down, read it. Second Samuel 24. God comes to David and says, I want you to give me an offering on the threshing floor of Arana. Go to him, tell him I want you to provide an offering there. So David goes to him. He says, what does the king want? He says, I have to provide an offering on your threshing floor. And Arana says, listen, I'm going to give you the threshing floor and I'm going to give you the animals to sacrifice there. What is David's response? In verse number 24, he rebukes him. He says, no, 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 no. You can't give it to me. I have to pay for it because I will not offer my God a burnt offering that costs me nothing. That's what David said. And so David realized and understood if I'm going to give to the Lord, it has to hit my pockets. I got to feel it. If I don't feel it, I can't offer it to the Lord. He could have literally taken the threshing floor, taken the animals and been obedient to what the Lord told him to do but he wanted to do it in a way that impacted him. How many of us think like that when it comes to our resources? Let me give to where it costs me something. Think about what if God within the gospel said, I'm not gonna give to where it costs me something. What if John 3.16 didn't say for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? What if it said for God so loved the world that he gave Gabriel, that he gave the archangel Michael? Our payment of our sins wouldn't even be permanent. Like God gave to where it cost him something. He didn't give heaven's second best. He gave heaven's best. He didn't just send his son. He sent his only son. And so really, when we say I'm going to give to where it's sacrificial, what we're doing is looking more like Jesus. We're looking more like God because God looked at our sin, said, I need to give to that. I need to. He's the first giver. And he didn't say, should I tithe off the net or the gross? He didn't say, should, should I, how much should I give? What percentage should I give? He gave his very, very best. Now you get to stand before God as though you live like Jesus. And Jesus stood before God condemned every one of your sins. See, that is what, see, the motivation for giving, if you hear nothing else, if you write nothing else, if you tweet nothing else, Take this away. The motivation for giving is not fear. The motivation for giving is to look more like Jesus. That's the motivation for giving. That's all giving is. It's not, well, I'm cursed with a curse. Malachi tells me I'm cursed with a curse if I do not tithe. I'm robbing God. I'm cursed if I don't tithe. That is the most unbiblical teaching I've ever heard. Why? Because Galatians 3 will say, you are redeemed from the curse of the law. Cursed is he that hung on a tree. Jesus took your curse from you. You can't be considered cursed as a believer. Jesus took 100% your curse and put it on him. Went to a cross and died for you. Now that's motivation for giving. I'll give to that. And, that, and we're not giving to repay God. We're not giving to say, man, I got to repay you for what you've done. You can't repay him for the cross. 
You don't have enough money in your bank account to pay for what he did on the cross for you. But that is motivation for us to give. And so God looked at it and said, and so uh, Jesus looked at this widow and said, I'm going to say that she gave the most. Why? Because it cost her more than it cost anybody else. Let's keep going. Then he says in verse number four, for they, con- for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. Look at these words, put in all she had to live on. She put in all she had. Is that not, is that not looking like Jesus? Jesus put in all he had. So much so that he put in so much that he gave his life for it. That's what Jesus gave. And so again, it's looking more like Jesus. Every single time you give sacrificially, every time you give to where it's costing you something, you're looking more like Jesus. Every single time. One more thing I want to point out of this verse is this is not just individualistic. We can't read this and say, and, and I hope we do glean from the poor widow here, but we can't read this and think in our mind, this is just individualistic. This has to hit us as a church as well corporately. How are we doing financially with giving? Do y'all know, y'all may not know this, we give almost 11% of our tithes and offering that we collect on a weekly basis every single month. We send out multiple checks. At least 11% of our internal resources go back out to support other church plants, to support other ministries. Um, right here in bed we support Janelle's uh, Young Life. They have 15, 20 kids that meet bi-weekly. They hit them with the gospel. We don't give to that. And so as a corporate body, I'm not asking you guys to give anything that the church wouldn't give. We're not too young as a church to give. I don't care if we bring in $100 a month. We need to be sending out at least 10. At least 10. Why? Because we believe as a church that it's important for us to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 5 talks about this. It says, we want you to know corporately, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given, listen, to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme, out of their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So the churches of Macedonia were extremely impoverished and gave out of their poverty. So the church did what the widow just did. That is what it's all about. Not asking you to give anything that the church wouldn't give. So don't walk out of here and be like, man, another sermon about money. Matthew 6, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. You want to know what your God is? Look on your bank account. Just go through all of your spending for the month of May. That's your God. That's what, you're, that's what you are seriously passionate about. That's what's important to you. That's what's priority for you. Go on your own bank account and just look. We're not a church that's asking you for your, I need to see your, your pay stub so that you can tie this much. I'm just saying it's about your heart. Search your own heart and come up to, to the conclusion, where does my treasure lie? Because that's where my heart is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we talk about church resources. Many of us sitting here and, and, and honestly are wrestling with how we give. Maybe we give, but Father, do we give sacrificially? Help us not to be reckless or unwise in our giving, but Father, would you help us to give in a way that is 
pleasing to you. Father, you were pleased with the widow's giving. Like in my mind, that's backwards culturally because my thinking would, would be that you would be pleased with the one who gave the most financial gain, but you didn't. These two small copper coins could not have really contributed much to the budget. But Father, it was so big for her heart. She probably, this widow probably, the text doesn't tell us that she ever knew that Jesus was watching her. She may not even know and hear about this until the day she stands before you. Father, this is how I know she gave more because 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. We're talking about how she gave out of her poverty and how they gave out their abundance and you rejoiced over her. Father, help us. Convict us. Encourage our hearts. Help us to be sacrificial. Help us to look at what we spend. Help the church, help your mission not to be second. Most of us in this room want to see your mission go forward. We want to see Bed-Stuy impacted by the gospel, but most of us don't want to contribute to see that happen. We just want to watch it. Forgive us, Lord. All of us in this room, would you forgive us? Some of us in here are in some financial hard places. Let's just be honest. We're in places that are tough, that you're using to grow us. I don't think any season is wasted. Even a financial hard season where debt collectors are knocking and calling consistently, even in that season you've used. You didn't say that this widow was excused from giving because she was impoverished, you still searched her heart. Father, would you search our motives? Let us walk out of here and feel a deep weight of what this widow has done. Help us to be generous. Give us resources not to floss. We don't want to put it on our back or put it in something we could drive. We don't want to put it in something that makes us look great. But Father, we want to see your mission go forward. Help us to think like that. Help us to consider the church. Let the church not be just an afterthought, but let it be primary because this is the means in which you've used. The only institution that has stood against different cultures and times is the church. Help us, Lord. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen.